You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 317 by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Education for Special Needs, the Curative Education Course, translated by Anna Moise. This is Lecture 4, given in Dornach on the 28th of June, 1924. Well, my friends, today we'll try and, in a way, round off the introductory studies. From tomorrow, we can then move on to the practical aspects in individual cases. Looking at the essential nature of, in quotes, mental illness in the right way, must inevitably also give us clues as to how to treat them. Treating adults by our methods must still present problems today, and I spoke of the reasons for this yesterday that there are certain preconditions for treating such things. And for as long as conditions in the world are the way they are now, it will be quite impossible to bring our methods to realization in our present society. With children, the situation is that education can achieve a very great deal. But as you have seen, my friends, with mental conditions, with others too, of course, but here in a much, much deeper sense, a much more definite sense, we are dealing with karmic situations that show themselves in the diseases. The question has, of course, justifiably been asked, not very explicitly. It has to come up unconsciously. We have to feel what is at the bottom of this. To what extent is it possible to improve the situation? Every degree of improvement we are able to bring about is of benefit to the sick individual. We must never be satisfied to say, the karma is so, and because of that things take their course in this way. We say this in the case of outer destiny events, and may indeed do so, but we can never do so with the free-flowing direction of thoughts, feelings, and actions within human beings themselves. For there, karma may take different routes, and karma may be deflected. Not so that the things that need to be fulfilled are not fulfilled, but they can be fulfilled in different ways. When people are saying that there should be pre-birth education, meaning education during the embryonic period, I have often said that so long as the child is not breathing, it is a matter of educating the mother and of her attitude. What is more, we should not intervene in the work of the gods. It is wholly a matter of what goes on for the mother herself. It is, however, possible to do a proper study, like the one we have done for epileptic mental anomaly, taking account of physical body, ether body, astral body, and I, capital, organization. What did we discover with regard to all forms of mental anomaly in childhood that are epileptic or epileptoid? We found that the astral body and the eye organization are dammed up in some organ or other. The surface of an organ does not let the astral body and the eye organization go out. They are held up. They are held up inside the organ. A dense astral and eye atmosphere develops in the organ. 
This gives rise to seizures. For every time there is a seizure, the situation is that the nature of the seizure is such that if this is an organ, see plate 6 on the left, with its ether body inside, the relationship between this physical body and ether body to the astral body and eye is specific for every organ. I think you all know this. We can only talk about it under those preconditions. We know the specific external circumstances in which inorganic substances combine in the natural world outside. The way it is done in chemistry is not right, but there are specific ratios. I am not saying ratios of atoms or weights, for that is already turning into theory. But the fact is that hydrogen and oxygen combine in a certain ratio. Sulfuric acid, H2SO4, contains hydrogen, sulfur, and oxygen in a specific ratio in which they belong together. If the relationship is a different one, the resulting substance may be one that is completely different. When the relationship between hydrogen, sulfur, and oxygen is different, we may have sulfurous acid, H2SO3, though this does, of course, contain the same elements. In the same way, there is a quite specific ratio in a normal, in quotes, person. I am putting it in quotes because it is completely bourgeois to say, quote, in a normal person, close quote. People then think there is a limit. Now, within certain limits, the ratio is variable. But when it goes beyond a certain variability, which may again be individual for different people, you have anomaly, morbidity. So the situation is that astral body and eye organization are present in an organ in such a way that they cannot fill it in a specific ratio and are unable to project beyond the organ, beyond the physical body, in a way we noted yesterday, to be necessary. If astral body and eye are dammed up in a particular organ, we have excess astral body and excess eye organization in that organ. Not the amount that is needed, but a congested amount, excess amount. And the organ changes so that it has to feel, to sense the astrality. An organ is not sentient of the astrality, when it has the right amount of it in it. But the organ has to be sentient of any astral body and eye organization activity that does not belong there. When something does not come to conscious awareness, but is dammed up so that there is too much astrality and eye organization, which does not come to conscious awareness, then seizures will develop. And this also gives you the concomitant symptom, mental disorder. Mental disorder must always develop if the organ is one that has something to do with conscious awareness. If it is an organ that does not have anything to do directly with the mind, but only inversely, being an organ that inhibits, pain develops rather than unconsciousness. Pain is increased rather than reduced conscious awareness. The seizure as such is not painful, it is merely a fact. Pain is therefore something that arises when congestion occurs in an inhibiting organ that is an organ that does not promote conscious awareness. There, pain develops. That is the nature of pain. 
We have now covered all the forms of mental aberration, also in a child's organism, that present as epilepsy or epileptoid phenomena. We will consider them in detail, but it will be best to do so in the light of individual cases. You will easily see that the situation may also be different. It may be that you do not have an organ, the surface of which holds back the eye organization and the astral body, but rather one that lets too much get through, so that the organ does not keep back enough for its own use, as it were, and astrality and the eye organization which goes with it is not dammed up, but easily flows out beyond the organ, see plate 6. We might say that the surface gets too permeable to astrality and eye organization. The organ lets its astrality and eye organization flow out. Using our powers of imagination, of seeing things in images, we then see the organ sending out rays. It is running out. An organ which is running out like that always has the physical correlate of secretion, which is not very great with certain organs, though certainly enough to be noticed. We will have more to say on this. You see, where childhood is concerned, we are dealing with a phenomenon which can only be cured by firming up astral body and eye organization, taking them back, as it were, into the organ. What forms, what kind of outwardly apparent symptom complexes result from such an inner consistency? This brings us to a chapter where the result is different in children from what it is in adults. We come to forms of mental aberration that have to assume specific forms in the period of development from birth to sexual maturity. We come to forms of hysterical aberration. All the lack of clarity in external science lives in these forms of hysterical aberration. All the inappropriate terms that have been created live in them. It starts with the very first views people have of this. For according to present-day views, one will, of course, have to relate this hysterical aberration more or less to the sex life. It is even designated as being connected with the sex life of women rather than that of men but it is not the terminology which matters. What matters is which cases are put under that heading, if they merit the classification of hysterical aberration the way it is meant, or if one has to consider a much bigger complex. Now the situation is that a child simply cannot have this form of mental aberration ascribed to it by those who think of sex in the case of hysteria not before reaching sexual maturity. All a child can have in the first periods of life is something I described as the astral body and eye organization projecting beyond an organ. That is all he or she can have. We have to disregard all the descriptions given for hysterical aberration. For all those descriptions have in common that they make one think of a general heading and then the description will be wrong. Many descriptions in the field of psychiatry are simply wrong because of this. One cannot do things the way they are being done today. Let us consider the situation as it really is. The child has difficulty in taking in the outside world, as I put it yesterday. He has difficulties in finding his balance where fluids are concerned, where air is concerned, 
in grasping differences in temperature and in the light, differences in the chemism, in cosmic life in general, taking them up not too weakly, as in the case of epileptic mental aberration, but too powerfully. He extends his astral body and I in all directions, into gravity, into temperature conditions, taking hold of each of them as intensely as is not really possible for normal, in quotes, people. What does then arise? Well, you just have to imagine you have grazed your skin somewhere and are touching something with a sore skin area, where you have grazed it and are sensitive. You are sensitive there because you are inwardly getting too close to the outside world with your astral body. We can only touch in the outside world with our astral body and eye organization to a limited degree. A child who is, anyway, taking his astral body outside is in a subtle way taking hold of all things, as if he had a wound there. This will quite naturally make him experience hypersensitivity, giving himself up hypersensitively to the whole of his surroundings. Such a human being is much more intensely sentient of his surroundings and reflects it much more strongly within. Ideas will also arise that are painful in themselves. The moment one unfolds the will in the face of this, one is entering into something to which one is hypersensitive. A peculiar fact arises in the conscious parts when one unfolds the will, excessive conscious awareness in the unfolding of the will, pain arising as the will unfolds. This pain is there in the nascent state, in the process of arising. One wants to hold it back. This happens with intensity. One fidgets in one's doing because one wants to hold back the pain. You see that here we get descriptions that open out into life in a very definite sense. You arrive at descriptions where the child wants to do something and the situation is that he feels a pain and cannot do it. But instead of the inner life flowing out into action, the child has a terribly powerful inner experience and shrinks back from it. He shrinks back from himself, or if it is not a matter of taking action but of a masked action that is in the life of ideas, for the will goes along with this, if it is a matter of taking action in the life of ideas, if ideas are to develop, it may be that with certain forms of illness, the ideas evoke fear at the moment when they are to develop and so cannot develop. Every idea of this kind which evokes fear the moment it is due to come to conscious awareness, the moment it is to develop, any such idea will at the same time cause the life of feeling to unfold under it. Feelings froth up, and a state of depression will always begin to develop. Feelings that are not taken up by ideas will be depressive. The only feelings that are not depressive are the ones that are taken up by the life of ideas as soon as they develop. Things we describe as they are can be seen, and basically that is already a syndrome. So, if we get to perceive the essential nature of such an anomaly, we will be able to see it directly as we contemplate it. This is how it has to be when spiritual science intervenes in these practical spheres of life as we contemplate things. If people are meant to take action, 
then the descriptions must abandon all abstraction and enter wholly into life, so that the description ends up where the individual who has the description sees it in the sick individual. And here you literally see what is going on, some organ or complex of organs letting the astrality or eye organization run out. A very obvious phenomenon with children, outwardly reflecting the syndrome in a crude way, as it were, is bedwetting. It is self-evident. This gives children's bedwetting its proper perspective. It originates in this fact. Wherever bedwetting occurs, you may presuppose that the astral body is running out. For every form of excretion and secretion has to do with the activities of astral body and eye organization. These must be in good order if excretions and secretions are to be in good order. We are now able to say that the eye organization and the astral body are, thanks to the physical body, connected with the four elements as they are usually called, and that in the ether body they are more connected with the upper elements, with part of the heat element, with light, with the chemism and the general life in the world. If we extend terms that can be quite characteristic to the spiritual, which certainly did happen in the instinctive clairvoyance of earlier times, when people did not yet make such a marked distinction between physical and spiritual, we are able to say, A child may have a soreness in his soul, and this inner soreness is a collective term for everything that happens there. If it proves impossible to improve this inner soreness by special educational measures, then the female or male form of this inner soreness will develop with sexual maturity. The female form will be hysterical by nature, as it was called when people still took that point of view. The male form is different in configuration. We can also talk about this, but it does take another form. Whenever we have the opposite of epileptic or epileptoid mental aberrations, you will find you have to pay attention to the condition of eliminations. You find you have to pay special attention to how the child perspires. Above all, you'll have to pay careful attention when you want to teach the child something, that is, evoke ideas and watch if the inner soreness comes to expression in perspiration when the child is faced with new ideas. There is a certain difficulty here. In normal circumstances you will think that when one has evoked some such inner state it will be possible to observe the situation regarding perspiration immediately afterward. That may be the case in some circumstances, but need not be so. For the peculiar thing is that any inner fear or reservation that may be there, any inner soreness, does not have the same effect as sentience of an external soreness. But the reaction which arises is first digested in the human being and will sometimes still follow the strangest routes in the inner human being, becoming outwardly evident not soon after, but oddly enough only after some time, over the next three or three and a half days. Everything which occurs when the astral body and the eye organization are enlarged is what also occurs when the astral body and the eye organization expand in the normal way in death. When it was a matter of damming up, the opposite of the death process occurs. 
with epilepsy, you have an attempt to dam up the life in the organism, to imitate the process of crawling into the organism when descending, but in an anomalous situation. With the conditions we are now speaking of, we are dealing with an imitation of what happens when we die. The astral body and the eye expand as life melts away after death. This is what we are dealing with. So if we have this feeling, we gradually acquire the skill that is important in observing cases of this kind. We develop a nose for this outflow process in the child. One does really and truly smell it. And it is already part of the esoteric aspect of these things that one acquires an organ for smell which tells one that the auric element of such children smells different from that of normal children. These children actually do have something corpse-like in their auric exudations. Here you see that it is the case that the phenomena of this dying process appear, this sweating for some reason or other. The phenomena appear in the course of the next three days, approximately the period of time taken for the review after death, when the expansion of astral body and eye organization also takes place. Having gained that insight, you will have to get in the habit of holding firmly on to something you have noted in the idea-forming or will-sphere of such a child and continue to observe the child for the next three or four days. You will then discover if this truly has the form of anomalous inner life which I have been discussing. Then the question will certainly arise with wholly relevant preconditions. Quote, how do I treat such a child? Close quote. I find that the soul of such a child lies open before me in everything he or she does. The child's soul flows into everything he or she is doing around me. You will understand that in such a case, when the child's soul comes flooding up to one, as it were, training and education will quite specifically depend on the adult's state of mind, on the whole mood in which he or she is able to approach the child by handling something or other, doing something himself or herself. Let us assume you're a fidgety person, someone who is always acting in such a way that the things one does come as a shock to others. This character trait, one of the features of human temperament, is much more common than people tend to think. It is often extraordinarily widespread among teachers. Isn't it true that most teachers today are rather harem-scarum, this twitchy nature, all the time going head over heels and doing things. It is inevitable considering the methods used in training college. Training is such today that it truly makes the things people are supposed to learn grow overweening. Students of teachers training college should, above all, never be put through exams. Today it is my task to talk about teachers training college and therefore other students do not come into this. For an examination does indeed create states of mind that lead to this kind of fidgetiness. So you can see right away the peculiar situation which arises when one has to develop things in response to the real state of affairs. We are dealing with the setting up of the Lauenstein Institute for Children with Special Needs. The legal requirement is that the people who are going to run the institute should be advised to get proper qualifications. At least one of them has to do so. 
but that is completely inappropriate, for it is, of course, yet another way of growing fidgety. This is something we simply must realize, quite objectively, otherwise we go about blindfold. There is nothing to be done about this, however, except for getting out of the fidgety habit after the exam. Most people don't do this. Everything that causes slight shocks, coming from the teacher's unconscious mind, from the teacher's temperament, must be avoided around the child. Why? Because teachers must be able to apply such shock effects only consciously, deliberately, seeing that they are often the best remedy for such conditions. But they will only be effective if one does not do it from habit. They will only be effective if one does them in full awareness before the child, being thoroughly observant all the time. So when you note such a combination of symptoms in a child, you have to take the child, and you are teaching him to write something, to read or to paint, but now what do you do? You try and let the child go as far as he can in his particular human quality. At a particular point you try and change the speed at which things are done so that they are done faster. This makes it necessary for the child to let not the soreness fall back, but rather his anxiety over that soreness. For you are there before him, and so he has to enter right into the anxiety. But by having to enter into his anxiety at this moment, having to enter into an impression that has been artificially created, enter into such an impression, He strengthens the element in him that wants to flow out, consolidating it. If you do this systematically over and over again, the eye and the astral body will begin to consolidate. You should not tire of this, of having to do it over and over again, planning the whole lesson so that methodologically it proceeds in such a way that at certain points there simply comes a change. You need to be in full control for this, You won't be able to pursue such a line if there is a different subject every three-quarters of an hour. You can organize the way you teach children with special needs if you work on the basis of the principles we have established for the Waldorf School, with main lesson periods where a single subject continues for weeks during the main school hours of the day, so that it is possible to have no timetable at all between 8 and 10 a.m., You are able to do as you wish, do what you perceive to be right when it comes to method. On this educational basis, you can then also evolve what you need to do for the children with special needs. You can use the method where the teaching changes all the time, changing the pace. You will be able to have a tremendous influence on glandular secretion and hence on the consolidation of the child's astral body but you need to have a degree of resignation. The world will not realize that healing has occurred when the children have been treated in this way, that the children have overcome the disease. The world will only notice that in the odd case there has not been healing, for people will always consider the achievement of normality as a natural thing in life. But achieving normality is not at all something that happens naturally. So that is the one thing. You see, therefore, that where, with epilepsy and epileptoid abnormality, it was a matter of taking 
more manual and moral measures. With this kind of anomaly, which I have been discussing today, it is above all a matter of developing educational methods that will combat the problem. One has to produce these shock effects. The other is to observe carefully how depression alternates with a kind of manic element, fits of merriment and joy. What gives rise to the alternation between depression and mania with these diseases? It happens all the time because the child is inwardly sore and longs to stop the will from unfolding altogether. Depressive states develop when the will does not unfold in the life of ideas. When this has gone on for a long time and the child can no longer hold back but must for once let go, then with the inner soreness dammed up for so long and the child able to let things flow out completely in the astral, an increased sense of well-being arises and you get alternation between sadness and cheerfulness. One has to observe these particularly carefully in such a child who outwardly also shows the symptoms of sweating and bedwetting. For we have to push the educational work right into these alternating states. Let us assume the child is in a depressive state. We approach that state at the moment when the child develops the feeling that we are strongly connected with his inner being. We understand him. This is a kind of hypertrophy in the life of ideas and of the will. And the child will then want us to share not only in his sadness. It will do nothing for him if we get just as upset and sad as he is. He will only benefit if we are up to the condition in which we are able to share and comfort him to real effect, if he is given real comfort. The teacher who is able to approach these things with understanding will then develop something typical. He will know, for instance, that one idea these children have all the time is that they think they ought to do something but are unable to do it. It is a complicated idea, but one has to be able to study it. They are supposed to do something and can't do it. They must do it, however, and then it turns out differently from what they had intended it to be. Just examine the inner life of children, like those of whom I have been speaking, and aim to intercept this element in the inner life, which we might define as, quote, I want to do something, I can't really do it, but I have to, and therefore it turns out differently from what it should be, close quote. The whole of the child's illness really lives in this complex of ideas. The child senses, feels the peculiar constitution, which consists in the astral body and the eye organization flowing out. Even just in itself, this is like the astral body exerting an influence on the outside world. Quote, I want to do something. Close quote. But the child knows that he will immediately come to the outside world, to the active causes. There lies the soreness, pain, and the child is made to feel, quote, I can't really do it. Close quote. Yet he knows that it has to happen, after all. Quote, I must reach out with my astral body into the active causes of the world. There I won't manage the thing I am taking in hand. I'll be awkward with my outflowing astral body. It will turn out different because I cannot be completely present in it. The astral body is flowing out too much. 
Close quote. It is exactly with children like these that we notice in the most marvelous way what the subconscious, which projects into sentient life, is actually doing. It is terribly clever. It develops the clearest possible concepts for what is going on in the inner constitution and in the relationship which human beings have to the world around them. This comes free in the subconscious but does not come up into the child's conscious mind. We are therefore able to say that one has to endeavor to discover these inner unconscious idea complexes in the child. So, now the complex is there. You notice it. It is practically always present when the child is to start something, either doing or thinking. It is almost always there. Take action yourself at this point, in that you, gently, mildly, go along with what the child is meant to do, feeling every movement of the hand in the movement of your own hand. And the child then feels that the second part is being corrected by what you are doing. The child clearly will not benefit if you literally do everything he is meant to do. Your intervention must be fictitious. Pretend. You let the child paint, yet do not paint yourself, but merely move your brush alongside, close by, going along with every movement. You let the child form ideas by gently guiding him as he forms his ideas, as kindly as possible, and clearly going along with what the child is supposed to be doing, inwardly close, caressing. Proper observation will make it possible for us to discover the real situation and know what to do. Now, we have to realize that in anything which spiritual science is able to give it can always only be a matter of a challenge presented to the human being. People always want to have rules. You should do this in one way and that in another. Those who want to work with special needs children will never have finished. Every child will present a new problem, a new riddle. But they will only know what to do if they let themselves be guided by the essential spirit of the child. It is not easy to do, but it is the only true way. This is why, when it comes to this science of the Spirit, it is above all important that as teachers we must eminently educate ourselves. We will practice the best kind of self-education when we study the symptoms of the disease with interest. If we have the feeling that such a symptom is really something to marvel at, we should not proclaim to the world, however, that the insane are human beings who are truly divine. This is something we must not do in our day and age. We have to be clear in our minds, however, that when there is an anomalous symptom, it is something which, from the spiritual point of view, is closer to the spirit than anything human beings do in their healthy organism. The problem is that this being closer to the spirit cannot function appropriately in the healthy organism. Once you understand this, you will discover such subtle, intimate aspects. You see, the point is that diagnosis and pathology will lead to genuine treatment in every field if we are able, in making the diagnosis, to enter into the real nature of things. The End of Lecture 4